turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us this afternoon. James Blend is producing. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. Well, on Fridays, we lighten up. We take a look at the lighter side of the news. We will do precisely that. In fact, James Blend will be joining us in our next segment to talk about a mystery at his home. And we'll also hear from, well, our engineer today. In fact, I think it's tomorrow is World Ukulele Day. Who knew World Ukulele Day? And we certainly could not with a capable uh, ukulele aficionado in our midst. Let the occasion pass without uh, him regaling us with some melody. So we'll give him an opportunity to do that in the second hour of today's program. First, to take, uh, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. The president vowed to build a wall. He addressed 2020 rumors in a wide-ranging interview with the New York Times. The president called the latest border wall talks among lawmakers a waste of time. That's a repeat from what he'd said before. If Nancy Pelosi does not agree to funding the structure and blasted the House Speaker for doing a tremendous disservice to the country. I've actually always gotten along with her, but now I don't think I will anymore, the president told the Times. I think she's doing a tremendous disservice to the country. If she doesn't approve the wall, the rest of it's uh, just a waste of money and time and energy because it's desperately needed. Well, the president indicated he's still mulling, buckling, uh, rather bucking uh, congressional approval and declaring a national emergency to get a border wall built. I'll continue to build the wall and we'll get that wall finished, he told the Times. Now, whether or not I declare a national emergency, that you'll see. Well, the president also addressed the 2020 presidential election, dismissing rumors that he would not seek re-election, saying, I love this job and insisting he has tremendous support in the Republican Party. He also suggested that Senator Kamala Harris is the Democratic frontrunner to challenge him in 2020, lamented how Democrats have shifted radically left and took on the latest development in special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation and the arrest of longtime, excuse me, advisor Roger Stone. Also, Donald Trump Jr. late on Thursday ripped House Intelligence Committee Chairman Representative Adam Schiff of California after reports appeared to vindicate the younger Trump surrounding Democratic suspicions that he made phone calls to President Trump, then candidate, around the time of the Trump Tower meeting with Russians in June of 2016. Democrats have long suspected the calls were between Don Jr. and his father regarding a meeting with Russians offering dirt on Hillary Clinton during the 2016 campaign. However, Senate investigators obtained phone records that appeared to show Trump Jr. had actually spoken to two longtime Trump family friends, Brian France, chief executive of NASCAR, and investor Howard Lorber, uh, the New York Times reported, citing two people briefed on the matter. Trump Jr. responded to the report on Twitter. Has anyone heard from Adam Schiff? Trump Jr. tweeted, I imagine he's busy leaking other confidential information from the House Intelligence Committee to change the subject. 
And ever since one um, leading 2020 presidential candidate, Senator Kamala Harris, called for eliminating private health insurance to implement Medicare for all, there's been pushback by some moderate Democrats, including a Washington Post columnist who cautioned the party against embracing such a platform. Megan McArdle argues that Democrats could hand President Trump a second term if they embrace and campaign on Medicare for all. There's a certain freedom in having Trump as an opponent. He's so loathed in many quarters of the electorate, she says, that you can propose almost anything and still be pretty certain uh, of those votes. And yet, not entirely certain, McArdle went on to write. If you force subordinates to choose between having a lewd race baiter in the White House and sacrificing their health insurance coverage or paying higher taxes or many of the other disruptive things progressives want to do, well, maybe they decide the troglodyte is the lesser of two evils, end quote. Well, during her short time in Congress, U.S. Representative Ilhan Omar, a Democrat from Minnesota, has gained the reputation uh, for views on Israel that some critics may call radical and anti-Semitic. Earlier this week, Omar said she almost chuckles when the Jewish state is described as a democracy. Then she defended fellow freshman Democratic lawmakers who have been accused of anti-Semitism and called them thoughtful colleagues. In the latest controversy involving uh, Omar, the freshman lawmaker raised ire when she agreed with a liberal activist who wrote online that current-day Israel is much like the U.S. South uh, was during segregation. Israel is like the South before 1963. Millions of people under Israeli control are denied the right to vote, speak freely or assemble because of their ethnicity. It's a democracy for Jews only. That's not a real democracy. That's a quote from activist Max Berger in a tweet. Omar endorsed that tweet, sharing his anti-Israel rhetoric uh, to her more than 471,000 followers. Having been there, I almost chuckle at the... uh, content of the tweet. And in an interview with Fox News on Thursday, Senator Ben Sass, a Republican out of Nebraska, said Virginia Governor Ralph Northam should resign if he doesn't back down from his comments on a controversial late-term abortion bill, saying the governor effectively endorsed infanticide. Sass, a pro-life Republican, said Northam's uh, comments were morally repugnant and argued that Democratic governors should get, well, the expletive out of office if he doesn't support protecting the life of a child who survived an abortion. The comments the governor of uh, Virginia made were about fourth term uh, um, abortions. Uh, Sass uh, uh, said that the uh, at the time, that's not abortion, that's infanticide. Well, Virginia Governor uh, Ralph Northam may, looking back, think that was the least of his troubles as he has been forced to apologize today for appearing in a racist and offensive photograph of his um, on his 1984 medical school yearbook page that showed one man dressed in blackface and another in a KKK robe while giving no indication he plans to resign. Northam, who has been under fire this week for comments he made about third trimester abortions, um, uh, and that bill admitted to being one of the people in the photo, though is not clear which costume he's wearing. Earlier today, a website published a photograph of me from my 1984 medical school yearbook in a costume that is clearly racist and offensive, he said in a statement. He added, I am deeply sorry for the decision I made to appear as I did in this photo and for the hurt that decision caused then and now. Well, it's a copy of the 84 yearbook page uh, was obtained from Eastern Virginia Medical School, the library. Northam graduated from the school that year. The Virginia Pilot, the Washington Post and Richmond Times-Dispatch also reported they independently confirmed the authenticity of the page. 
The quote on the page says, there are more old drunks than old doctors in this world, so I think I'll have another beer. While Northam is facing calls to resign from both Republicans and some liberals, racism has no place in Virginia. Republican Party of Virginia Chairman Jack Wilson said in a statement, these pictures are wholly inappropriate. If Governor Northam appeared in blackface or dressed in a KKK robe, he should resign immediately. I think that raises a very serious set of questions. Uh, The pictures were taken in 1984. Is there a statute of limitations on offensive behavior uh, that is denounced by the individual who engaged in that behavior or is one uh, one's activity throughout life as a and we're not talking about a high school student or an undergraduate. We're talking about a medical school student. So he's a, a grown, mature man at the time. But nonetheless, is there a statute of limitations uh, that applies to offensive behavior. Well, Northam didn't respond to calls for his resignation, but in a statement, he said, this behavior is not in keeping with who I am today and the values I have fought for throughout my career in the military, in medicine, and in public service. I recognize that it will take time and a serious effort to heal the damage this conduct has caused. Northam said, I am ready to do that important work. The first step is to offer my sincerest apology and to state my absolute commitment to living up to the expectations Virginians set in me when they elected me to be their governor. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, the, uh, the, the country is not inclined to overlook uh, misdeeds done earlier in life. Uh, we'll probably revisit this and raise the question sometime next week. And on this day in 2003, the space shuttle Columbia breaks up during reentry, killing all seven of its crew members, Commander Rick Husband, Pilot William McCool, Payload Commander Michael Anderson, Mission Specialist Kalapana Chawla, uh, David Brown and Laurel Clark and payload specialist Ian Ramon, the first Israeli in space. And on this day in 1994, Jeff Galuli, Tanya Harding's ex-husband, pled guilty in Portland to racketeering for his part in the attack on figure skater Nancy Kerrigan. He received 24-month sentence and a $100,000 fine. On this day in 1984, Late Night with David Letterman premiered on ABC. And on this day in 1960, four black college students began a sit-in protest at an event, uh, Woolworth's lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina, where they'd been refused service. Quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 20 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up shortly, we're going to talk with James Blend about a mystery that has unfolded in his home that is inexplicable. We'll find out. What's happened in just a few minutes? Well, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced today that the U.S. is pulling out of a major arms control treaty with Russia, citing alleged violations by Russia regarding the uh, pact that's been a centerpiece of arms control since the Cold War. Pompeo said the U.S. is suspending its uh, obligations and will terminate the deal entirely if Russia does not return to full compliance in six months. He said the U.S. has fully um, adhered to the pact for more than 30 years, but we will not remain constrained by its terms while Russia misrepresents its actions. We cannot be the only country in the world ultimately bound by the treaty or any other. Well, the American withdrawal has been expected. It follows years of unresolved disputes over Russian compliance with the 1987 pact known as the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces or INF Treaty. It was the first arms control measure to ban an entire class of weapons, ground-launched crew missiles with a range between 310 miles and 3,400 miles. 
Wilds, which is rather dramatic. Russia denies that it has been in violation. U.S. officials also have expressed concern that China, which isn't part of that treaty, is deploying large numbers of missiles in Asia that the United States can't counter because it's bound by the treaty. Senator Jim Risch, Republican out of um, Idaho, chairman of the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, backed the Trump administration after the announcement earlier today. And calling for a sense of common purpose, Senator Cory Booker on uh, or this morning, rather, declared his candidacy for president. The high profile Democrat from New Jersey announced his White House run with a, a new website and a tweet featuring a two minute long campaign launch video, as well as an email to supporters. I believe that we can build a country where no one is forgotten. No one is left behind, where parents can put food on the table, where there are good paying jobs with good benefits in every neighborhood. Booker said in that video. Well, the former mayor of Newark, known for his oratory skills, added that he envisions a country where our criminal justice system keeps us safe instead of shuffling more children into cages and coffins, where we see the faces of our leaders on television and feel pride, not shame. Well, Booker's entry into the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination race was widely expected. His jam-packed December visit to New Hampshire, the state that holds the first primary in the race for the White House, had the look and the feel of a presidential campaign trip. Aides confirmed that in recent weeks, Booker's been uh, hiring staffers for his emerging campaign. So we're going to see on the Democrat side something similar to what we saw on the Republican side in terms of sheer volume of candidates. Excuse me. And Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren has apologized to the Cherokee Nation for taking a DNA test to prove she had Native American ancestry, taking a step to smooth over the lingering controversy as she prepares to formally launch her 2020 presidential campaign. So it's interesting. She apologized for taking the test not for claims that she had made uh, prior to having taken the test. Senator Warren had reached out to us and has apologized to the tribe. We are encouraged by this dialogue and understanding that being a Cherokee Nation tribal citizen is rooted in centuries of culture and laws, not through DNA tests. That's a quote from Cherokee Nation spokeswoman Julie Hubbard in a statement. Well, the October DNA test by the Massachusetts senator angered some tribal leaders and sparked plenty of political pushback against the senator at the time. The New York Times and the um, Intercept first reported the apology, a break from Warren's past uh, reluctance uh, to issue one. But the Times reported Warren privately expressed uh, concern she may have hurt her standing with the Native American groups and her own supporters in her handling of the test. It wasn't the test that I think angered people. I think it was statements made long before the test was ever taken. She's, uh, we are encouraged by her action and hope that the um, slurs and mockery of tribal citizens and its Indian history and heritage will now come to an end, Hubbard added, with a uh, reference to Donald Trump without using his name. Well, the move comes just over a week before Warren is expected to formally declare her candidacy for president after having launched an exploratory committee on Thursday or campaign uh, uh Tease that Warren would have an announcement on the 9th of February. Warren's effort to clean up from the DNA test uh, rollout comes as several other big-name figures enter the 2020 race, most recently uh, Senator Cory Booker earlier today. Warren, who was born and uh, grew up in Oklahoma, had for decades claimed to have Native American heritage, but it wasn't until her successful 2012 campaign for the U.S. Senate in Massachusetts that her that she rather revealed that she had claimed minority status at universities where she worked. The controversy became an issue in her race against Republican incumbent Scott Brown. So we'll see if her mea culpa 
uh, will help her in her bid for the nomination for the Democrat Party. And the forecast will keep changing a bit, but according to Rod Hill, KGW meteorologist, Friday morning's forecast calls for snow showers in Portland on Monday. Well, the best change for accumulating is above a thousand feet, uh, he said, with uh, one of three inches possible during the day on Monday and into the evening. Now, my guess is that will be higher elevations, but Portland may stay above freezing Monday with a mix of rain and snow showers. But how long the snow level falls is uncertain. Portland's best chance to see snow in downtown looks to be Monday afternoon through the night. But again, it's unclear if the city will cool off to the freezing mark, he says. Well, there's also a chance of snow hitting Portland later in the month. Nothing concrete, but February may see a couple of cold snaps with low snow levels, according to Hill. All right, 26 minutes after the hour of 4 o'clock. Do we have enough time to tell your story, James? You're sitting here in the studio. I am sitting here in the studio. What do you, you think? You know, it, it, probably, it probably isn't quite enough time. Isn't quite enough time. Okay, we're going to hold off. Okay, let's hold in off. In our next segment, we'll give you an opportunity to explain the mystery that has unfolded in your household and resulted in, well, your coworkers ridiculing your footwear uh, earlier this week, I'm I was st- not I was, among yeah, them. No, I, I, you know, well, like giving away too much. I'm still getting foot checks on a daily basis from several coworkers. Yeah, with good reason, I might add. I agree. Well, a New York City apartment building elevator that uh, got stuck between two floors, trapping a woman inside for three days, had a burnout. Um, hoist motor and the emergency phone was not working. The city building department said this woman was in that elevator for three days. Think about that. Food and water is one thing, but there are other issues as well. Firefighters rescued the 53-year-old housekeeping employee on Monday around 10.10 a.m. after receiving a 911 call and forcing entry into the elevator in a building on East 65th Street in Manhattan. She'd been stuck between the second and third floors. The um, uh, fire department couldn't confirm exactly when she got stuck, but did say she was there over the weekend. The woman was uh, treated and released from uh, the medical center nearby. Uh, A spokesperson for the Department of Buildings told NBC4 that it has uh, issued a cease use order for the elevator inside the building, which is about a block from Central Park. This is a pretty nice building. He said the property owner was um, issued three violations, failure to properly maintain damaged hoistway door and defective hoist motor uh, and communications device inoperative machine brake maintenance tag missing and other defects. Uh, but this woman was trapped in that elevator for three days. Now, it's hard to imagine that, I mean, maybe it was a service elevator, but that no one would have come by that area to hear a distress call from someone trapped in the elevator between the first and second floors. How would you have responded, uh, James, if you'd been trapped in an elevator like that for any length of time? Well, I mean, a lot of a lot of elevators, of course, I mean, you know, a lot of people have their cell phones and it's not always the best reception in an elevator, but usually you get some. Well, uh, my understanding is she was a housekeeping employee, so she may not oh, have been carrying her right, phone with so her while work. working. Boy, so would you, you know, have panicked? I, I think I probably would eventually panic. I don't know if I, I mean, I would see the humor in the situation at least for a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, I remember, uh, you know, of course, we have elevators here at the station, and they've had some issues over the years uh certainly nothing caused by you know poor poor maintenance or whatnot it just seemed to require maintenance a lot mm-hmm. uh but uh, I, i've always joked that one of these days i'm going to die in one of those elevators 
uh, but I still use them every day. So, I, you know, I, I guess I'm able to look past my fear. So, Clark, how about you? Would you panic in that situation? I mean, the first hour, okay, that might be okay. Three days, how would, would you handle it? would be worrisome. Would you panic? Would you cry like a girl? After three days, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I probably would, too. I'm not sure I would panic. I'm not generally claustrophobic. But to be in a confined space for that length of time, I don't know. Probably doesn't smell so good in there. Mm, yeah, to say the least. I can't imagine that nobody, and again, it might have been a service elevator. We don't know. I can't imagine that no one uh, noticed that the elevator wasn't working or uh, that no one heard her distress calls, which I assume she made. Well, you would think so. At the same time, it's, I, I mean, I guess if it's a service elevator and, uh, and um, you know, she was a, a cleaning person, if it was over a weekend... Her company probably wouldn't have noticed she wasn't uh, checking in or out, and uh, nobody would have complained that their apartments weren't getting cleaned to the cleaning company or the building. Yeah, It, but it, it seems like the perfect storm for this poor woman. Well, it apparently was, because she spent three days, um, and the elevator had multiple problems. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we will return, and when we do, James Blend will explain the mystery at the Blend household. Maybe you have the solution. I don't know. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Now, many of you know that James Blend is the producer of this this program. He wears many hats here at KPDQ and affiliated stations. And I work with him virtually every day. I'm pretty familiar with his wardrobe and his footwear. Uh, but he arrived earlier this week... Well, on a rather cold day, wearing footwear that I didn't really recognize, at least this time of year, uh, with a pair of heavy socks. They were sandals. And while in Oregon that's considered fashionable, it was untimely. Now, James, you came to work and several people asked you about what you were wearing on your feet. Let's start at the beginning of this mystery. Yeah, it was certainly uh, not. Uh, I, I'll start by saying it was not a uh, fashion statement that was planned um it it started monday night uh when i got home and uh as as people are wont to do you kick off your shoes and you may put them up on your couch or, and uh or an ottoman or however you choose and you know watch a little tv before dinner and uh that was what i chose to do and i i took my shoes off and, and neatly placed them next to the couch Okay, that sounds perfectly natural. Absolutely. Getting ready to leave the house on Tuesday morning, I go to get them, and one is gone. Just flat out gone. I look around, maybe somebody kicked it. I mean, I do have a daughter who's almost four, so, you know, the the possibility exists that it got moved somehow. Um, I checked the general vicinity, nothing. I, I spent about five minutes looking through the living room and could not find a single pair of uh, the the this shoe's friend. He the shoe is now friendless. Um, so I I go to the shoe rack. I figure I'll just grab a different pair of shoes. I couldn't find a matching pair. There were six different shoes in the shoe rack, and I realized I've lost half my shoes, and not by the pair. So I literally <laughs> lost half my shoes. One shoe of each pair is missing. Correct. Now, do you have a dog? We do not. We have no pets whatsoever. Have you been burglarized, to your knowledge? We have not been burglarized, and if we have, it has simply been for six shoes or seven. 
because there's nothing else of note missing from the house. So literally, the only shoes you had uh, that you could find. Now, were they in the same area? or had They were they, on a shoe rack. We have a shoe rack in the hallway. But the, the pair that you ended up wearing that day, were they... On they that are, shoe rock, no, or they were somewhere and, else, and, and that was kind of what. Ah. I, that's kind of what why I was able to wear them because, being as I considered them uh, summer wear, I had uh, put them um, under my dresser. Um, so just kind of tucked out, tucked away, essentially for the for the uh, year. I'd had them where I could get them because uh, we're going to be in Southern California in a couple weeks, and uh, even though it'll be February, I'll break them out for that. So you arrive at work with unseasonable sandals and heavy yeah, thick and socks. Yeah, it should be pointed out, I, I had basically three shoe possibilities that I could wear. There were three existing uh, possible footwear, footwear for me. I could wear those sandals. I could wear these really bright blue Crocs. Um, or I could uh, or I could have worn my uh, fur-lined moccasin slippers. <laughs> so you chose the sandals. I went with the sandals. And when you arrived here at work, how uh, how did your coworkers respond? Well, they, <laughs> they it was fairly uh, quick in the, on the noticing thing, and uh, the how can we wear in sandals? You know, it's January, right? Yeah, which of course so, you did. Okay, yes. so you wear the sandals all day at work. People are laughing, chuckling. You can hear muffled conversations in the background. And, and, you know, it's it's fine with me because, I mean, I know the story. And unfortunately, you know, I feel like I probably used too much company time telling the story over and over again that day. But uh, needless to say, uh, you know, I, I saw the humor in the situation. I posted on my Facebook along with a picture of my feet. And, you know, so the, the okay, humor just, wasn't lost on me. Can I just stop you there for a moment? What is it with people posting pictures of their feet? I had surgery. I broke my foot. I have a, a severe cut. And people post pictures of their bare feet in various stages of. Well, I mean, I've never I totally. I mean, you, know, I mean, you get the foot. Shoe, uh, you also have the foot selfie that so many people feel the need to do out I, at the airport. I, I don't. I don't get the well the barefoot. You know, especially yeah. if you have some sort of major injury or you're oozing something. Don't put that on Facebook. Okay, that's all. It's uh, like. If you want to know my blood type, here it is. Uh, <laughs> Oozing out of my foot. I wouldn't have posted a picture of my feet if the feet weren't centric to the story. And they were covered. So anyway, and they were covered. You post it on, You go home that night. Yes, I do. And of course, you want to start looking for your shoes. What and did mind you, you I had I had looked a little bit prior to right. You know, prior in the morning, but you know, at some point you go, I got to get in. This is not good. Uh, but. Um, the uh, and I also had an appointment, so it was kind of like, um, yeah, I need to get going with my day. This is this, I can't look forever. So we, well, the first thing I did was uh, I, 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 you know, after huggies and kisses and all the things you do with with your your little girl when you get home and and uh, swinging her around and picking her up and that type of stuff, I said, can we talk? Okay, what did you do to Dada's shoes? Big grin. I don't know. Ah. Uh huh. Okay. Well. Hmm. All right. Can Can you find one of Dada's shoes? And that was what she did. She found one shoe. She did. She came out with one shoe. She essentially fessed up. And um, it was it was in the hidden in the closet um, by the shoe rack. And. Um, that was the only one she's given me to date. <laughs> that w- that was the pair of shoes I was the, the running sneakers I was wearing yesterday. yesterday. So not by any means a primary pair of shoes. It's probably about six years old. I don't wear them a lot because about you know, two three months after getting them, I was kind of like you know I don't like these so much. 
But what are you going to do with them? So you've looked everywhere in the house that you could think of. And For the you most have part, not yes. been able to find your shoes. So what's the plan moving forward? You're pretty convinced that she is hiding your shoes. Two questions. What are you going to do now or next? And why do you think she's taken your shoe? Um, so. The... Uh, the theory, the working theory of why she's taking them is in an attempt to keep me from leaving the house. Ah. Oh. Um, she does like to prevent that when she can or try to prevent that. Um, today she tried to do so with uh, her arms and an umbrella, um, trying to keep me away from the door. <laughs> um, so that, that just kind of continued to feed that theory particularly. Um, she has also in the past hidden keys. Uh-oh. We've had a very long talk about this. It doesn't happen anymore. And my wife and I invested in those those little tiles uh, that you put on your keychain and you can ping them from your phone just for that very reason. But um, the uh, the plan for the weekend is to um, lovingly and gently tear the place apart, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, walk the backyard, make sure they're not back there. Uh, she does occasionally get back there and uh, so want to make sure they're not there. Um, and then there are a couple other places that we, that we can check that we, that, that we really haven't had a chance. The one thing I think we know with how little we've found so far is they're not together. There's not a stash of they're them random, somewhere. Random they, shoes throughout exactly, the house. Exactly. They have to be separate, uh, or at least not many together. Cause I, it, we would have found <laughs> them by now if it were. And she's only taking your shoes. She's not taking your mom's shoes. The, to my I, to my knowledge, that is correct. Um, at least if she has, she's not hit any that uh, my wife wears regularly enough to have noticed. How confident are you that you're going to find your shoes? Not very confident. Oh my goodness! The the, the uh, our, our um our, one of our former coworkers who uh, works at a radio station in Houston has been following the story as well, and asked me today via text, "Do you think she threw them out?" And I just kind of thought, "Oh, that actually hadn't crossed my mind." This particular pair, I know the garbage was full at the time that this last pair disappeared, so I don't think she could have gotten them in there. We would have noticed it when we took that bag of trash out the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's certainly every possibility, I suppose, that uh, some of these other shoes did wind up in there. She thought she was hiding them and not realizing that they were going to get thrown out. Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll have to hear the rest of that story. Yeah, there's there's more Monday. coming. I mean, it, every day people – this seems to be the story of the week around here and that people want to know uh, what's going on. Have any update on your shoes? How many do you got now? And today I'm wearing a, a brand new pair that I bought, oddly enough, the day before this all happened, because I actually wanted a new pair of walking shoes. So it's, uh, I'm up to two pairs of shoes I can wear. Um, and it's the weekend, so I can probably wear those bright blue Crocs as well. Or the slippers. Or, or, or the slippers around the house anyway. But the sandals, um, I'm going to wait till that uh, trip to SoCal. And then, um, quite <laughs> frankly, after that, it'll it'll be June or July before those things get broken out again. All and right. they will be placed somewhere where she cannot find them in the interim. Well, I'll be watching Facebook, but I'm very interested in hearing what you find out as the investigation I'm, I'm scared. continues. I'm scared to find I'm a out. I'm scared, too. I really yeah. don't want to see you break out in those slippers again. It's going to be snow on Monday. I, I'm just glad it was I'm glad it was this week. It was warmer than it's going to be next <laughs> yeah. week. Yeah. And it's still, my feet were freezing all day with the socks even. All right. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on Fun Friday. We lighten up and take a look at the lighter side of the news. Also, later in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to celebrate World Ukulele Day. And yes, we have a ukulele player among us. We'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 49 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Groundhog Day is coming up, and Puxatani Phil, who's overcome a bevy of woodchuck prognosticators to become famous, will be, well, at least coming out to be interpreted. Well, Puxatani Phil is world famous, the seer of seers, the prognosticator of prognosticators, the weather prophet extraordinary. Of course, he's just a... (laughs) A small animal that comes out and a lot is made of it. Well, the, the uh, he's been making predictions about the end or um, continuance of winter since 1886. He uh, His next one is Saturday morning this coming. Well, when Groundhog Day falls on a weekend, school children in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, get the day off. Uh, at least when it's a weekday, I should say, because the school buses are needed to shuttle Phil fanatics to the woodchucks burrow so kids like it when it falls on a monday tuesday wednesday Uh, and yet believe it or not phil was mostly a regional celebrity for decades until fairly recently his first appearance in the oregonians pages didn't come until february of 1974 the day after he spotted his shadow signaling another six weeks of winter on the same page of newsprint he uh, battled for attention with another groundhog pawpaw michigan's woody uh, who couldn't be bothered to wait for Phil's prediction. Well, Woody, the newspaper wrote, shuns traditional methods, preferring the meteorological forecasts on TV. Well, Phil actually has had a lot of weather predicting woodchuck um competitors sun prairie wisconsin they boast jimmy the groundhog tampa has pardon me pete ontario has built a statue of let's see weirton willie raleigh north carolina offers up sir walter wally and that's just for states charles Earhart jr president of the puxatawney groundhog club in the 1970s took exception to the puxatawney phil uh, posers he's never been wrong he said of uh, phil Quote me on that. Well, he's been wrong since. Who knows if he had been up to that point. Um, PinLive.com concluded in 2017 that Phil has been right only about 65% of the time since 1898. Of course, we don't know how much is lost in translation every year. Phil makes his prediction in Groundhoggies and his human attendants do their best to translate his squeaks and chirps. And perhaps they, he's just been misunderstood. The National Geographic Society, meanwhile, has stated that Phil should be allowed to retire from weather prognostication. The groundhog curls up in his underground nest about September and hibernates until March. The group said in a 1977 press release, the last thing any normal groundhog wants on February the 2nd is to crawl out. Out of his snug burrow. It's a rather inconvenient, and I think Phil is pretty much always put out. But Phil is no ordinary groundhog. He lives forever, for starters. Groundhogs typically live only about six years in the wild, though uh, they can double their longevity in captivity. By the 1990s, Phil's fame had become great enough that he inspired the Bill Murray movie, which is pretty funny, Groundhog Day, about hapless weatherman Phil Connors, who keeps uh, reliving the same day while covering Groundhog Day in Puxatawney. Well, the beloved movie is the work of Murray. It's arguably most identified uh, with that film. And yet the role of Connors was originally offered to Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton. While Hanks passed for for scheduling reasons, Keaton admitted that after reading the script, he didn't get it. Well, we all get it now. It's a, a pretty good laugh, but Puxadani Phil, that's Tawny, not with a D, Puxatawney Phil, will predict weather there um, 
uh, whether there will be six more weeks of winter on Saturday when he comes out early morning. Cloud and cold conditions are currently anticipated for tomorrow morning. The Groundhog's predictions are not very accurate, as we mentioned before. But it's uh, kind of a fun tradition that has uh, spanned many, many, um, many years. Well, Groundhog Day 2019 is uh, tomorrow, which means Puxatani Phil, the world's most famous groundhog, will come out of uh, his hibernation for just a little while, look for his shadow, and let us know how much longer this harsh winter chill will last. Of course, he has no idea. We just uh, anthropomorphize the poor thing and disrupt his otherwise peaceful sleep. The big day for Puxatani and a horde of imitators across the nation, including Staten Island Chuck, Essex Ed, and uh, Milltown Mel, uh, will be early morning on February 2nd. Uh, Here's what you need to know. What time does Phil uh, look for his shadow? Well, the legendary Groundhog Festival at Gobbler's Knob in the small town of Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Yes, that's where Phil got his odd-sounding name. Kicks off at 3 a.m. on Saturday uh, with a long list of activities, including dancing, singing, fireworks, and a bonfire. In keeping with this long tradition, Puxatawney Phil will be uh, popping out of his burrow at, a ba- at exactly 7.20 to a big throng of spectators and news photographers. And, of course, he's completely puzzled by the whole thing and wondering what on earth has happened to um, rouse him from his slumber. Well, what does it mean if uh, Puck's Phil, uh, if he sees his shadow or doesn't see his shadow? Well, if he sees his shadow when he emerges on Groundhog Day, that means, according to folklore, uh, we're going to have uh, to endure another six more weeks of winter, no matter what human forecasters who actually know what they're talking about predict. If Phil does not see his shadow, that signifies an early spring. By the way, two-legged forecasters at AccuWeather are predicting that Puxatawney Phil will see his shadow on Saturday morning because they expect wintry weather in the United States to linger for another six weeks. They actually have a more reliable method of making that determination. Well, as for the weekend weather outlook in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, we'll all be, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest. But AccuWeather is calling for a mix of sun and clouds in the morning with temperatures in the low 20s cold, but not as frigid as they were in the past uh, two days. So people have to be pretty committed to the tradition to make their way outside. The National Weather Service is predicting a temperature of 23 degrees at 7 a.m. on Saturday, with a slight breeze making it feel as cold as 15 degrees, so spectators will have to bundle up. Uh, Staten Island Chuck will look for his shadow at 7 a.m. He'll be out until 7.30 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, he's at the zoo, so gates open there at 6 a.m. People will be making their way. Uh, Mayor de Blasio really did drop Staten Island Chuck. Uh, yes, that was uh, on Groundhog Day in 2014. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio made national headlines when he dropped Staten Island Chuck's fill-in, a groundhog named Charlotte, as the rodent was uh, placed in his arms. I probably would have done the same Only I would have been terrified at the time. Several days later, the groundhog died from apparent internal injuries. Despite speculation that the death was caused by the animal's fall, the Staten Island Zoo said it was unlikely that the mayor's big slip played a role in the critter's demise. So he died of internal injuries, or rather she died of internal injuries that just sort of sprung up and had nothing to do with being dropped from a great height. Yeah. Um, For the fifth straight year, Mayor de Blasio will not be attending Groundhog Day, well, for reasons we might understand. Um, According to um, locals, the website quoted the mayor's spokesperson saying, the mayor hasn't gone in several years and everyone has lived. 
Mm. Well, Essex Ed has been a fixture for years at the Turtle Back Zoo in West Orange. He's going to be making an appearance at 11 a.m. on Saturday at the zoo's Burson Education Building. Let's hope Ed doesn't oversleep and miss the big day in the spotlight. That's what happened a few years ago. And a hedgehog named Otis had to fill in. Now, Otis had no clue. And we're not sure how accurate he was. Milltown Mel is scheduled to look for his shadow at 7 a.m. on Saturday. And, of course, these are all local time at the American Legion Joyce Kilmer Post on John F. Kennedy Drive in Milltown. And Stonewall Jackson V will be looking for his shadow at the Space Farm Zoo and Museum at Wantage at about 1030 a.m. on Saturday. Well, when does spring actually start? This lore aside, if you don't believe that furry rodents can predict the end of winter or the start of a new season, you can ignore all that folklore stuff and check any standard calendar to find out when spring does officially start. Most people around the world consider the start of the season to be when the spring equinox occurs here in the northern hemisphere. This will be about 5.58 p.m. Eastern time, which is what, 2.58 p.m. Uh, Pacific time on Wednesday, March the 20th, not that far off. Weather forecasters and climatologists, however, consider March the 1st to be the start of uh, spring because their season, known as the meteorological seasons, are based on annual temperature cycles, not on the Earth's rotation. Well, daylight saving time when we turn our clocks one hour ahead or spring forward starts on March the 10th, just a few days into official spring. So there you have it. Puxatani Phil. And all of his cohorts will be making appearances shortly. Well, coming up in the next hour of today's program, we're going to acknowledge World Ukulele Day. Now, I know it could have come and gone without your notice, but we would have all grieved the loss if we had not taken full advantage of the opportunity to hear from a ukulele player who happens to be the engineer of this program, Clark Hilton. So we're going to give him an opportunity to play as we acknowledge World Ukulele Day. We'll also let you know uh, at the close of today's program some of the guests that we're planning for next week. And of course, we will cover events as they unfold, uh, more serious events uh, through next week. And uh, we have the State of the Union address that's coming up next week. We have the deadline approaching for whether or not Congress can agree to a plan that would prevent the government from shutting down again. They have until the 15th of February. Things are not looking well. We'll find out whether or not the president intends to take executive action to move forward with the wall. A lot coming up next week. So we will cover all of that. News and traffic are up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blind is producing. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. Later on, we'll let you know what's coming up next week. A kind of a big week policy-wise, as well as other things. But we have some interviews lined up and others we're working on, so we'll give you a glimpse in our final segment of today's program. Well, earlier in the first hour of the day, we uh, learned a little bit about a dilemma that James Blend is facing. We learned, in fact, er late last year that James is actually something of a comedian. You discover things about the people you work with. Well, um, my engineer, Clark Hilton, is a musician and uh, he well, took I wouldn't the, go that far. I would. I would say that you're a musician. He took up the ukulele. Has it been more than a year? It's been no, a year, it was, not quite it, a year. It'll be a year in March. A year but in I, March. I started getting serious about it in August. Well, what Clark sets his hand to do, he decides he's going to do it well. He's going to learn how to do it. And he began taking ukulele lessons. When he first brought it home from his vacation last year, I thought, eh, 
We'll see what happens with this, but he's taking it very seriously. And World Ukulele Day, is it Saturday or Sunday? It's tomorrow. Tomorrow is World yeah. Ukulele Day. And Do you want to fr- know what that's about? Yeah, I would, yeah. actually. So it started in 2011. 2011. 2011. Uh, a guy by the name of Mike Lynch. He goes by Ukulele Mike. He was a music teacher and a composer up in Seattle who also became a popular YouTube personality teaching basic stuff about the ukulele. And then he kind of had a thing going with his own website, selling songbooks and teaching aids and things like that. He was actually one of the first people I found online mm-hmm. um, when I was just looking for a little bit of help because our engineer here at the radio station gave me a ukulele. I'm like, well, I got to figure out how to play this thing. So before I took lessons. Anyway, um, ukulele Mike died suddenly a year ago, January, which is kind of sad. Yeah. But uh, his YouTube channel lives on, his uh, website lives on, and his wife of, I guess, 47 years is still selling his songbooks and everything. He's still got a, a following, but... Uh, World Ukulele Day was something that he cooked up, mm-hmm. and it was something that he did so that, you know, everyone is encouraged to celebrate the instrument, um, whether by playing or just enjoying the music, and he kind of hoped to spread peace and love through the instrument in this day of observation. So here he's been gone, this is the uh, second year he'll have been gone, and World Ukulele Day is still a thing, and it's not just with him. You can find it if you just put World Ukulele Day in um, in Google. Some you search find, engine, yeah. yeah. You just get a whole list of stuff. So it, it's a thing. He, he created something of a phenomenon with this kind of funny instrument. Yeah, yeah. You know, the ukulele has been around for a very long time. I learned that my husband, Dan Rice's mother, used to play the ukulele. Oh. It's been a popular instrument uh, off and on over the, the years. But I was surprised to learn just how popular it is now, especially with young people. I, you know, I'm familiar with some songs that, that use the ukulele. There's, of course, the um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. That's one of the more popular songs oh, of yeah. late. That but, was made famous by yeah. Iz over in Hawaii. Yeah, but it's become an instrument that a lot of people play. And so I've been really impressed by your diligence in not just taking it up and fiddling around, but actually taking lessons learning how to play the instrument. And so I wanted to ask you if you would play a little something on uh, the eve of World Ukulele Day. Yeah, I could do that. I um, I just happened to bring the uke in today. What, I cannot believe can... the coincidence. Yeah. So, <laughs> and by the way, I asked him to bring yeah. it in. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to put this, I'm going to make a video actually playing the song and put it up on my blog probably tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But um. What I have is a tenor ukulele. It's a little bit bigger. Um, it's not the soprano that you usually think of when you see them. And it's the concert size is the next setup. I've got the tenor, which uh, it has, because it's bigger, it has a little bit more of a mellow sound, but it's still got that bright mm-hmm. ukulele sound. So. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, so I will, I will move the microphone here and I'll... You move the microphone, I'll give you a proper oh, introduction okay. and then you start when you're ready. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to invite you to welcome... Clark Hilton, uh, as he regales us with a tune on ukulele on the eve of World Ukulele Day. Please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Clark Hilton.
I forgot a note. <laughs> Let me go back to that. I am so sorry. <laughs> Remember, I'm still in my first year playing here. World Ukulele Day. Nicely done. Yeah, it's <laughs> there's some techniques here that don't. This is some uh, they're called hammer-ons, where you're not actually playing the note with a strum; you're playing it with your finger, mm-hmm. and it doesn't always translate really well over a microphone. And I'm not plugged in, obviously, so it's an acoustic instrument. But yeah, well, in honor of World and I can't believe that I, I messed Day. up a couple notes right in the <laughs> middle. You did I mean, just fine. Ah. Now, what advice do you give to aspiring ukulele players as they anticipate celebrating World Ukulele Day? You've been playing for less than a year. Yeah. Well, what's your uh, advice? Well, you know what? If you're interested in picking it up, you can find some very inexpensive ukuleles online. Uh, and I'd start with that, but find something that's good enough that you're comfortable playing. It's very easy to pick it up and get started. I mean, like any kind of instrument or skill, it takes more work to get really good at it. But, you know, you can you could sit there and learn a few strums just by going online. And that's what I did. I learned a, bun- a few chords because it's just got four strings mm-hmm. and just... Did that and then decided, you know what, I want to take lessons. I want to get better at this. I actually want to try to master the instrument. And uh, that takes more time. But, you know, just a little bit of practice. There's some Facebook pages where it's ukulele fans. There are various communities in Oregon, and I would assume probably in Vancouver, southwest Washington, that have ukulele meetups once a month. And we have several <laughs> ukulele players among the staff. We do. There the are a few. Yeah, there are yeah. a few on the staff. But well, thank you yeah. for uh, helping us usher in World Ukulele Day. Yeah, we'll celebrate it tomorrow. <laughs> and that uh, video recording, I'll be playing perfectly. There won't be any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed every note you played. Well, thanks thanks. For, for bringing that. All right. Happy Eve of World, World ukulele, ukulele Day. If you're not into the groundhog. Yeah, or... You know, after you've done the groundhog thing, yeah. pull out the ukulele. Write a song about him. <laughs> Here it go. Well, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. When I was growing up, it was a big deal to have the Encyclopedia Britannica. It was a compilation of scholars from all over the world. Historic accounts of events that took place long before our lifetimes and anticipation of the things that were being developed looking ahead. I remember my father made a great sacrifice in purchasing the Encyclopedia Britannica so that we would have it available in our home and us kids would have the advantage of that kind of information. Well, we've moved away from that and I think many of us assume that, you know, you go to Google, you go to Wikipedia and there you will find the answers. We actually don't even have to know anything. We just need to have to know where to look for something and assume it's accurate. Well, Stephen Pruitt has made nearly three million edits 
on Wikipedia and written 35,000 original articles. It's earned him not only accolades, but almost legendary status on the Internet. You've got one guy contributing significantly. Whether or not he's qualified is another matter. The online encyclopedia now boasts more than 5.7 million articles in English and millions more translated into other languages, all written by online volunteers. So you take your chances. Pruitt was named one of the most influential people on the Internet by Time magazine, in part because one-third, one-third of all English-language articles on Wikipedia have been edited by Stephen, an incredible feat ignited by a fascination with his own history. Well, Pruitt is deeply obsessed with history, and his love of opera inspired his Wikipedia user uh, name, his favorite opera character. Uh, my first article was about De Peter Francisco, who was my great, 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 great grandfather, he says. And if he had, uh, if I had an hour, I could probably go into the full story. Well, Pruitt said he was a sergeant in arms in the Virginia Senate, and there's uh, kidnapping, potential piracy. If you read the story, you would not believe any of it happened. Well, still living with his parents in the home he grew up in, in their basement, Pruitt has always remained true to his interests. I think for a long time there was an attitude of, that's nice, dear, the boy's crazy. I don't know why he wastes his time, the boy's crazy, Pruitt said, of what his parents think of his volunteer gig. Well, probably because he's still living in their basement, and who knows if he's actually compensating him. Well, that may have changed when Time magazine named him one of the top 25 most influential people on the Internet. Now, alongside President Trump, J.K. Rowling, and Kim Kardashian West. Kim Kardashian West. Steve Pruitt, whose name you probably didn't know. How much money does he make from his work? Well, the answer is none. The idea of making it all free fascinates me, he says. My mother grew up in the Soviet Union, so I'm very conscious of what, what it can mean to make knowledge free, to make information free. One wonders if he also knows how to pay his parents for his living arrangement, but pulling from books, academic journals, and other sources, he spends more than three hours a day researching, editing, and writing. Even his day job is research, working in records and information at U.S. Customs and Border Protection. He joked that his colleagues probably think he's nuts. Now his mom thinks he's nuts. It's colleagues. Because I edit Wikipedia all the time. He has more colorful language, but I'll leave it at that. I think that one sort of um, goes without saying. Well, Wikipedia said the site would not exist without the dedication of its volunteers. It is now one of the top five most visited in the world among Google, YouTube, and Facebook. People like Stephen are incredibly important to platforms like Wikipedia simply because they are the ones that are the lifeblood. This is a quote from Wikipedia's or Wikimedia's vice president of communications. Well, 6,000 people visit the site every second, bringing a responsibility for the editors to present a diverse and fair platform. Is it accurate? One wonders, however. We know there's a lot more to be done. That's why we're very excited about projects like Women in Red, which uh, seeks to identify and place more content on women on our platform. Stephen has beca- has been rather a large contributor to that project. Well, the last uh, statistic I saw was that 17.6% of the biographical articles on Wikipedia are about women. Uh, on the English Wikipedia, I should say, Pruitt said, it was under 15% a couple of years ago, which shows you um, how much we have been able to move the needle. How does he celebrate that victory? Well, he writes another article. He makes another edit. To put it into perspective, what it took for Pruitt to become the top editor has been dedicating his free time to the site for 13 years. The second place editor is roughly 900,000 edits behind him. So his uh, first place status seems safe 
for now. Lots of information available. The question remains, is it accurate? Is Wikipedia rightfully the Encyclopedia Britannica of the 21st century? Well, by now, all of you um, social media uh, types uh, are probably brimming with then and now pictures showing the glow up or positive transformations of people, including celebrities, friends, family and random folks sharing decades old images of themselves alongside current photographs. Although the meme that's um, proliferated on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter is uh, a great way to show, well, how much you've changed or not changed over the years, 10 years to be precise. And users are freely sharing the images. One technologist and follower of the meme uh, pondered whether the entire challenge was actually something more sinister and sparked a discussion about the technology in the process. Kate O'Neill, who authored a book called Tech Humanist, uh, went on to theorize that if you were training a facial recognition program on age-related traits, it would be useful to have a large data set taken at a fixed number of years apart. Thanks to the meme, there's now a very large data set of uh, carefully curated photos of people from 10 years ago and now. Uh, is it a bad for someone or that someone could use it to train a facial, facial recognition algorithm? Not necessarily, she writes on Twitter, noting that such technology could be used to find missing children. A number of technology companies, including Facebook and Amazon, have been criticized over the privacy implications of facial recognition technology. A Facebook spokesperson provided the uh, a statement saying this is a user-generated meme that went viral on its own. Facebook did not start this trend, and the meme uses photos that already exist on Facebook. Facebook gains nothing from the meme besides reminding us of the questionable fashion trends of 2009. As a reminder, Facebook users can choose to turn facial recognition on or off at any time. Now, you may not have known that, but facial recognition technology is inherent in Facebook, but you can turn it off or on. Instagram and Twitter have not yet responded to a request for comment, but it does raise some interesting questions. Speaking of which... Some Facebook users have been giving the um, social network access to their phone activity in exchange for money as part of a research project since 2016. That it's according to a report by TechCrunch that was released earlier this week. Facebook, which critics say isn't doing enough to protect the privacy of its users, they've been giving people between the ages of 13 and 35 a payment of $20 per month plus referral fees for their phone and web activity. Facebook is able to access this data after users install a Facebook research or VPN app. Now, 13 to 35. Now, the company is able to view web searches, location information, private messages and social media apps and other data. Guardian Mobile Firewall Security Specialist Will Strafok uh, told TechCrunch the study's participants are even asked to screenshot a page showing what they uh, order from Amazon, according to TechCrunch. Facebook is shutting down the Facebook research app for Apple iOS users, according to an update uh, from the company. Apple on uh, Wednesday confirmed that the app violated its policies. I guess they came to that knowledge late. Facebook has been using their membership in Apple's enterprise developer program to distribute a data collecting app to consumers, which is a clear breach of their agreement with Apple, it said in an emailed statement. Well, the app is similar to Facebook's Onavo 
project uh, or protect app that Apple banned from the App Store for violating its privacy rules, according to TechCrunch. Facebook removed that app in August. Well, Facebook confirmed that it was running a research program to learn about people's phone usage. Like many companies, we invite people to participate in research that helps us identify things we can do better. A Facebook spokesperson said in an emailed statement, since this research is aimed at helping Facebook understand how people use their mobile devices, we've provided extensive information about the type of data we collect and how they can participate. We don't share this information with others and people can stop participating at any time. But 13-year-olds... Well, beta testing services Beta Bound, Utrust, and Applause help distribute the app, and they don't initially mention on the sign-up pages for the social media study that they're letting Facebook access participants' data. Just kind of a forgot, I suppose. But if minors try to join the study through a page administered by Applesauce, or rather Applause, not Applesauce, they have to get their parents to sign a form that mentions Facebook's involvement in the study. Now, can that be... Forged? I don't know. But 13? I don't know. Facebook said there's nothing secret or underhanded about the app. It wasn't spying us. Uh, All the people who signed up uh, to participate went through a clear onboarding process asking for their permission and were paid to participate. Now, one wonders if they read all the fine print and fully comprehended what the study was. But, you know, $20, some people will do anything for that. The company said that uh, less than 5% of the participants in the research program were teens, but least 5% or up to 5% were teens, and that all of them had signed parental consent forms, or someone did. We don't know if they were actually parents. Since 2016, fewer than 150,000 people participated in the market research program, according to Facebook. Well, once again, questions being raised about what we're giving up, in this case, in exchange for $20 a month. We'll continue to keep an eye on Facebook. 31 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Clark Hilton is engineering. You know, technology is an amazing thing. How we use it can be a bit puzzling at times. You might recall the song Africa that was made popular by Toto not that long ago. Well, a scientist has made it possible for that song to play on a loop for all eternity in the desert. It's an artist installation, and this is what you'll hear. I hear the drums echoing tonight. Well, if it takes a lot to drag you away from playing Toto's hit song Africa, then head to the world's oldest desert, where it's set to play on a loop until the end of time. Uh, Nambian German artist Max Seidertoff Uh, has set up a sound installation somewhere in the Namib Desert in the coastal area of Namibia, which consists of six speakers attached to an MP3 that only has one song on it, Toto's Africa. And the song plays over and over and over and over and over. Well, you get the idea. It's put on a loop, and the installation rather runs on solar batteries uh, to keep Toto going, they say, for all eternity. I'll say for all time. Uh, This according to the artist uh, in a post on his website, Toto Forever. 
It's surprising to me how popular that song is. It's been like one of the most popular songs of all time, at least in modern times. So it's not altogether surprising that he would pick that particular song. And it's interesting that band members, absolute, with the exception of the guy who wrote it, absolutely hated the song. They didn't want to perform it. They didn't want to do the video. And it has been by far their most popular uh, song. Well, it had a renaissance because it wasn't a big hit, if I remember. It's kind of like time. Journeys Don't Stop Believing, which was okay at the time, but had a renaissance much later, like 20 years after its release. Well, the renaissance will continue for all time, or at least as long as the sun radiates in the heavens. Well, the 27-year-old artist said that he uh, chose the uh, undisclosed spot in the desert to pay tribute to probably the most popular song of the last four decades. The multi-platinum-selling soft rock classic released in 1982 topped Spotify's top throwback songs um, in 2018. It also seen a resurgence, as you said, Clark, with a recent cover by Weezer. I'm not familiar with it. Some of you might be. The song's even, uh, or I should say, the song even has a Twitter account that sends out uh, bits of lyrics daily. So you can go to the desert in Namibia. You can go to Twitter. But the song lives on. And on. And on. And on. And on. And on. (laughs) Well, let me encourage you to bark if you want an official state dog. Because... Clearly, lawmakers don't have enough to do. Oregon has an official state animal, the beaver. It has a state tree, the Douglas fir. It has a state mushroom, golden chanterelle. It even has a state fossil, a fern-like something is name I'm not going to attempt. You know what Oregon doesn't have? A state dog. You know what else it doesn't have? A state grass. Okay, I suppose if you don't have any problems, if PERS isn't about to bankrupt the entire state, if you've got a balanced budget, maybe these are issues that you should spend some time on. But anyway, this all could change. Two measures introduced in the 2019 legislative session that began on Tuesday, the 22nd of last month. Add a state dog and a state grass to the nearly two dozen official state symbols. House Concurrent Resolution 7, introduced by State Representative Lynn Findley of Vail, designates the Border Collie as the official state dog. Now, Border Collie, would you pick that for Oregon's? I would think a Labrador of some kind, but Border Collie, I don't know. Uh, Senate Concurrent Resolution 5, introduced by State Senator Cliff Bentz of Ontario, designates Basin Wild Rye as the official state grass. Eh, Well, the separate measure, House Concurrent Resolution 12, would make um, rescued shelter dogs and cats the official state pet. Nearly two dozen members of the House and Senate sponsored the bill that was introduced on Monday, the 28th of January. It has been referred to a committee for, or rather hadn't been referred to a committee uh, as of yet. Well, under House uh, Concurrent Resolution 12, Oregonians would celebrate the second chances that rescue dogs and cats get when they find new homes. Oregon is the land of the second chance, something every shelter dog or cat deserves, according to the bill. Shelter dogs and cats remind us that second chances are worth it, unless you're deathly afraid of dogs and cats and um, could care less. Official state dog. I mean, OK, if you want to have an official state dog, I'm just not sure a border collie is the dog that um, that should be chosen. Well, the Super Bowl, L-I-I-I, also known as 53. Clark, did you want to weigh in? I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, I can. Yeah. What do you think? 
about who's going to win. Oh, was that what you wanted to weigh in? I thought you were weighing in on the dog. No. No, okay. No, I... Anyway, Super Bowl L-I-I-I, the L representing 50, I-I-I, 3, 53, um, is going to be played this weekend. This year features a rematch of the 2002 Super Bowl between the New England Patriots and the Rams, who then were in St. Louis. I hate it when they move locations. It's very confusing. The Patriots won That's 20— about to get even more confusing because yeah. Oakland's moving to Las Vegas. Yeah, I, I can't take it. Yeah. Uh, the Patriots won 20-17, to 17, which was the first championship for quarterback Tom Brady and head coach Bill Belichick. For New England, thus, Sunday will be its uh, their 11th appearance in the Super Bowl as uh, a, a new NFL record. Brady increases his record appearance for a player of— uh, for a player to nine, the Patriots are five to two against animal teams uh, in the Super Bowl, while the Rams are one to two against human named teams, if that matters. And for the Rams, this is their first appearance since 2002 and the fourth overall. So there you have it. And the Patriots are favorites by about a field goal. Really? Yeah. It's uh, Patriots have never uh, blown anybody out in any of their Super Bowl mm-hmm. wins. And even in their losses in the Super Bowl, it's been pretty close. So this should be a good game. I don't. I don't think. I, I both of them, especially L.A., has a high-powered offense. But I, you can't give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare for you and think that you're going to just go in there and roll them over. Yeah, not. I, I think make, the Patriots end up winning this game ultimately, but, but by a small margin. Yeah, maybe a touchdown would be my guess. The Rams coach, by the way, Sean McVay, is 33 year old. He's 33 years old, and he's half of Bill Belichick's age. So Belichick has twice the experience, but uh, McVay has t- uh, half the age. At 24, Rams quarterback Jared Goff is 17 years younger than Tom Brady, who already held the record for oldest quarterback to start in a Super Bowl. So, You know, there's there something else interesting there, too, is that the two teams have very different uh, identities. The uh, Patriots, they're famous for the Patriot way. You know, it's a mm-hmm. no-nonsense, show up, do your job, do this, do that. You don't make a spectacle of yourself. They get rid of their higher-priced players. They sign players at below market value if they can, uh, generally because the theory... And Tom Brady has never been paid what he's worth because he has always foregone money for the chance because it's a salary cap league. If I give up more money, we can get more players and I can go and win, which is ultimately what the NFL is about. L.A. is kind of the flashy... Flashy offense team. They're in the flashy market of Los Angeles. They got the young coach, the young quarterback. They have some malcontents. They've built their team a lot through uh, free agency as opposed to through the draft. And so it's a, it'll be interesting to see how these two styles come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while the Super Bowl is being played, there are other opportunities that churches are taking advantage of. Sports Spectrum, an affiliate of the excellent ministry Pro Athletes Outreach, have put together a pretty high-quality Christ-centered program for Super Bowl Sunday, and a lot of churches are hosting Super Bowl parties, big screens, and so on, as an outreach into their community. It's uh, both edifying, evangelistic, can be effectively um, uh, used in church services or in home-watching games and so on. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye open uh, for as well. And by the way, according to a, a recent news report, it's not too late for your church to use some or all of the resources to make your Super Bowl Sunday a day of outreach and uh, spiritual growth. So uh, that's an exciting element of Super Bowl as well. You might want to keep your uh, eyes open on. So. And go home and watch all the violence on TV. 
Yeah, and the commercials. You and I sat through uh, some of the commercials earlier today. Most eh. of them are really... Yeah, s- just eh. CBS, I looked it up, CBS is charging $5 million for a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl. Oh, my goodness. So the fact that some of those folks spent $5 million on what they're... I, I don't I don't get that. Yeah, I don't either. But you and I don't... We're not high rollers, so maybe we wouldn't get it. Mm. Anyway, I'm going to be making lots of Super Bowl food, and we'll be watching the game. Dan Rice is a diehard. Yeah, what uh, about retired fan. Dan Rice? Is he going yeah. to help you with the food? Uh, he'll help eat the food. I see. Yeah, he's a diehard uh, Patriots fan, so it'll be a good day for him. For I think. The, I think so. Yeah, it'll be fun. He was a teenager back before, back when they were just starting to win all these Probably. Super Bowls. Yeah, yeah. When They've I think, been in it four back. years in a row. <laughs> it's amazing. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will. I don't know. Wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I know, I know it's a sad thing, but we'll be back on Monday. And in fact, we'll deal with more serious fare uh, as there'll be lots of news following the Super Bowl and everything that will unfold over the next 72 hours or so. So we'll look forward to that. By the way, on Monday, we're going to talk with Drew Dyke, author of Your Future Self. We'll thank you. Secrets of Self-Control for from the Bible and brain science. So we're looking forward to learning some skills, particularly for young people who won't have to look back as the governor of Virginia is at this very moment uh, for things that we have done that we later regret. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And we'll talk about what the scriptures have to say about how we can uh, walk in it. Uh, we're also going to talk on Tuesday with Mike Barry, author of, not Michael Barry. I was kind of excited. About, oh, we're going to talk to Michael Barry. Anyway, Mike Barry, Winning the Heart of Your Child, Nine Keys to Building a Positive, Lifelong Relationship with Your Kids. And that's always the challenge uh, for a parent. And then on Wednesday, we're working on a couple of things. Thursday, we'll talk with Jason Thompson with Portland Fellowship, get an update on what this ministry uh, is doing. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, bringing you an update. That's on Thursday. Well, snow is coming to Portland on Monday. How much remains to be seen? What I know is that we tend to panic. So I'm referring to Monday's very light dusting as Snowmageddon. I'm going to go to uh, Home Depot Lowe's. I'm going to buy a generator, put my snow tires on, stock up on canned goods, uh, candles, uh, you know, all the things that you need when a major snowstorm moves in. Okay, maybe... None of that's necessary, but snow is forecast to reach sea level on Monday with anywhere from a trace to three inches of accumulation possible. Three inches. Maybe I should go buy that generator. (laughs) In In the high grounds, out what you're saying, I'm getting sign language from Clark here. Anyway, snow is forecast to reach sea level on Monday with anywhere from a trace to three inches of accumulation. I kind of hope we get a little accumulation. Um, if the temperatures stay warm enough, it's not going to ice over, and it's just kind of a lovely dusting of things. Anyway, this is according to uh, meteorologist Rod Hill over at KGW. Still lots of time for the forecast to change, but all this time, or rather at this time, I expect Monday snow showers at all elevations. Well, Sunday evening, the snow will be about 1,000 feet, he said, lowering by morning. Higher elevations could see one to five inches of snow. Before then, and by the way, I'm lower elevations. Uh, Before then, snow levels are expected to drop to Cascade Pass levels on Friday afternoon and will fall to 2,000 feet on Sunday. There's also a chance of snow hitting Portland later in the month. We're already into February, and we're talking about snow. Um, He noted... um, that there's nothing concrete, but February may see a couple of cold snaps with low snow levels. 
And that's uh, that's always a little bit fun if you you know don't have too heavy a uh, fall. Uh, now today's temperature was or I should say yesterday was about 54 degrees. Today about 50. Not quite as sunny and nice as it was yesterday. We're looking at temperatures around 50 on Saturday, uh, 40 uh, 44 on. Um, Sunday with rain likely, lows 30. And then on Monday comes snowmageddon. So uh, if you want to overreact like I plan to, you can prepare for snowmageddon by getting a generator all hooked up, snow tires put on, stock up on canned goods, candles. Uh, make sure you have all your prescriptions. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm not doing any of those things, but we do tend to panic, and it's a bit humorous. But uh, we could see some snow on um on Monday. I hope it's not too severe, but I do hope we get some, some snow. Well, they're telling us that, you know, it used to be that vices were, well, clearly vices, but today ease is the new vice. According to recent research, teenagers are starting their, um, Vice behavior later in life, despite shifting cultural norms and new uh, freedoms, our youngest and most, um, active are apparently, uh, engaging in the traditional vices a, lit, a bit less and later. Sociologists and social commentators debate whether the trend is temporary or whether it marks a healthy or unhealthy societal trend. But it's possible that the so-called um, recession offers evidence of a wide disturbing trend that has nothing to do with the traditional vices, one that is particularly endemic of our cultural moment. The trend bears witness to the ways that we are increasingly finding um, Embodied life tiresome. Hmm. Well, our apparent fatigue with bodily living extends to other areas as well. Two years ago, in response to declining cereal sales, market researchers went looking for answers to why younger people were opting out of the convenience food that had led their parents and grandparents and fed them. Well, according to the New York Times, researchers found the reason. Breakfast cereal with the whole... Well, bother of a bowl and a spoon involved far too much work. Almost 40% of the millennials survey uh, by this uh, group so far uh, for its 2015 uh, report said cereal was an inconvenient breakfast choice because they had to clean up after eating it. Well, the decline in other activities and cereal sales hardly seems uh, correlated, but both seem to point to one of the most seductive promises of a technological life, that ours should be an unbothered life. As our lives, at least in the developed world, get easier, we're increasingly formed by the desire to do less. Of all the cautions that we raise about technology, its distractions and temptations, its loneliness and superficiality, this promise of unencumbered living is perhaps the most insidious danger and also the one we talk the least about. So they're telling us, move over traditional vices. Ease is the new vice that we ought to be concerned about. Well, writing for uh, Christianity Today, uh, Jen Pollock-Mitchell says that as Christians, we are rightfully attuned to the um, hedonic temptations, hedonistic temptations of of material life. Uh, She lists them. um, But reckless abandonment to the sensual pleasures of the body is not our only vice. So, too, is evasion of bodily life, which is, in one aspect, any attempt to squirm out of the tedium of being enfleshed. Emplaced beings with obligations to love, to engage, to be active, and it makes for a nagging question. Who do we become when we're no longer willing to bother? 
Well, the longing for ease is certainly not new, and we can trace the American home through the stages of swift industrialization. Between 1890 and 1920, the lives of American women and men changed dramatically with the introduction of electricity, running water. It still required a great deal of activity and being bothered, but the promise of the new appliances that added to our homes was not time efficiency, as we might think. Instead, these appliances were called labor-saving devices, and they promised to spare the body of bother. Well, fast forward 100 years to our current era of home automation. We have even uh, greater capacities to spare ourselves bother, and efficiency and convenience are delivered with less and less effort. Alexa reorders our toilet paper and turns on the music. From the comfort of my office cubicle, I control my uh, uh, my sound, ensuring a precisely cooked roast upon my return home. You can do that from your office as well. If I've forgotten to turn down my home heating during my vacation, I connect with an app on my smartphone, ease delivered with a swipe of my thumb or the command of my voice. Let there be light with the push of every button. My illusion uh, grows that exertion is the enemy of modern life. But there's a cost that goes along with that. And they're now telling us this has become in the 21st century, something of a vice. So what do we do about it? Something to think about this weekend, as most of us, or many of us, I should say, will be spending time in our leisure watching football, watching other people exert themselves. And maybe we might want to be a little more active just in general, but more specifically during that time as well. Well, once again, tomorrow, or I should say Monday on the program, we're going to talk with Drew Dyke, the author of Your Future Self Will Thank You, Secrets of Self-Control from the Bible and Brain Science, and also anticipate a bit of snow on Monday. We don't know how much or how little, but they're saying it could be as much as three inches or as little as a light dusting at the the, the lower level. So be prepared for that to have a little fun with it, as it seems to me. Temperatures on Monday will be low enough for snow. My understanding is a low of... 30 on Sunday in the latter part of the day. Well, I want to thank James Blind for producing today's program. Clark Hilton for not only engineering today's program, but helping us celebrate World Ukulele Day by bringing a rendering of a song on his ukulele. And I have to say that you have had that ukulele for a relatively short period of time, but you're really producing some, some great music. He did a series of songs uh, during the Christmas season, and that was really fun to watch him uh, him progress. So thanks for bringing that and playing for us today as well, Clark Hilton. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us back here on Monday when we'll take a look at the more serious side of the news and bring it to you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.